It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday december 9th and you're listening to episode 393 i am uh, joined by my pal isaac hey jason isaac shalev how's it going it's 20 past 10 i think we're good it's one of the later recording sessions we've done but isaac was uh i i sent isaac a message yesterday and said hey uh, could you record a podcast with me this week? And he said, Hey, only if we do it by tomorrow, cause I'm going to PAX U and, uh, which annoyed me cause I'm not going to PAX U and everyone else I know is going to PAX U. So that's, that's cool. That's on you, Jason. You're not employed. You could be in PAX U. It's true. I, uh, next year, next year I will be there. Uh, I, you know, I didn't at the beginning, uh, when I, when I left my job and, and started doing my own thing, I didn't realize how much the board game stuff was going to pick up for me in the last year. Um, and because it has, uh, suddenly I realized that I need to be going to more conventions. So I just didn't plan for it. Um, but you can bet next year that I will be at a couple more conventions. So I've kind of made a list, but PAX Unplugged is absolutely one that I will be at next year. Um, and I'm trying to figure out maybe another one to add, perhaps BGG Con, um, but I'm not 100% on that. Um, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll be taking recommendations from from smart people like you who go to a million conventions a year. Yeah, that's one of the least smart things I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean conventions are great, and and they're a ton of fun. They're good opportunities to network. They're good opportunities to pitch, or some of them are anyway, but. Um, I don't design at the pace and the volume that justifies the number of conventions that I go to. <laughs> See, we should work on that. Well, it sounds like you on your own uh, have <laughs> completed that work because last I remember you were at like 20 different designs. 20 different designs. Yeah, and several of those have moved forward. I've got... Uh, quite a f- well, actually, I've so I've added some since then, um, and and dropped a few to where I just put them on hold because I was co-designing with someone. They weren't moving forward because somebody was busy or whatever. And so, um, w- what's nice about working on so many projects is when that happens, when somebody has to take a step back. You know, for instance, when we were done with our last game, and it was being considered by some different publishers. You know, you said, "Hey, I've got some stuff going on. I need to step back for, but I'm kind of busy outside of the game stuff." Um, so I just leaned into some more designs with some different co-designers and, uh, was able to get some more stuff out there for consideration. And, uh, so, so yeah, it allows me to kind of throttle my work. I think the audience would really want to know, Jason, is how can you tell when somebody says that, whether they are just being nice? What do you mean? Well, you know, sometimes you just say you want to step back from a design... You know, because you just want to have an excuse to step back for no reason other than totally reasonable reasons. Well, I think the way I know is when that same designer comes back to me a few months later and says, hey, we should really be working on another game, then I figure it's probably all right. It's probably all right. Well, I'm just teasing. (laughs) I had a a great, great time working with you, and uh, I look forward to doing it again in the future. Um, But the truth is, and, you know, folks out there, if you are co-designing and it's not working, uh, you do at some point need to find a way to step back and step back gracefully. Uh, I can tell you that I stepped back, I think, gracefully from uh, a co-design once, and um, it was probably very foolish because it was with John Gilmore uh, prior to Dead of Winter fame. (laughs) And so... uh, uh, John and I are still friends and, and uh, maybe we'll co-design something again in the future. But it was kind of funny because, you know, I, I had just started working with both Matt and John and um, Matt and I just clicked in a way. And at a certain point, I said to John, listen, I think I'm just going to focus my efforts over there. And um, I can't complain. I mean, Matt and I have done some great work together, but um I did miss out on uh, sort of the the rocket ride that was John Gilmore. You, you kind of, you turned down Star Wars, man. You turned down Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I'm still in the business and uh, hopefully I will get another bite at that apple. Right. No, and, uh, you know, I mean, there is something to be said for clicking when you're co-designing with someone. You know, I, 
Um, there's somebody I've worked with a couple times now and we've never really ended up putting anything out there. Um, but like our styles are very different and and it's, it's, it's work, right? Like we come up with some great ideas, but it's, it's more work than it is like when I'm working with a you or a Neil and it just kind of flows a little better. Um, you know, so far the co-designers I think I've moved the quickest with on games have been you, Neil, and then Banana Chan, um, you know, and uh, her and I just kind of have a weird style where we like won't talk for a while and then we talk for like an hour and spitball a bunch of ideas and then kind of separate back and then come back together again. And, and because we've been working on some lighter things, it's worked really well for that. And it's allowed us to iterate faster than I would have thought um, and, and also come out of the gate with some stuff that's pretty solid without having to do a ton of extra playtesting to kind of get that first version to something more workable. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's been, yeah, I, I really am loving co-designing with people. It's, I know I talk about it a lot on the show, but it's just, uh, it's been very fulfilling to, uh, to not be just in a vacuum. You know, I think as designers that can be really tough if, unless we're the type of people, um, I saw a thing recently where Gil Hova was talking about how he just would rather design by himself for the most part. And I thought, cool, good for him. Like, like I don't feel that way, but that's cool that some people feel that way and can say, I would rather work on stuff my, by myself, you know? For sure. I, I think you have to know who you are and you have to, uh, find designers that you work well with. And you may not always work in the same style with every other person. Which, is, which can be a discovery, right? That you don't necessarily have to do it the same way and maybe you fit into different types of teams in different ways. Uh, so that, that's, right. that's an exciting dis- discovery to make. And certainly as an adult, I mean, you know, I'm 42. I have been doing uh, a lot of work uh, outside of board games, um, mostly as a lead consultant, right? So I'm... Um, the one who is kind of in charge of the the project or the program or whatever it is, and um, and recently started working in a larger team where there are a few consultants and a few other folks who are in this very large project, and I find myself fitting in in a different way, and it's been great. You know, it's really um, it's refreshing. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's certainly been true for design as well because, as um, as you know, but I, you know, I, I don't know how much the audience is following uh, um, my design life, but uh, but Matt Loomis and I were long time kind of uh, monogamous collaborators, uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pun too. Um, but uh, you know, Matt has had to take a step back from uh, from games and design uh, more generally, and and that's made me look around and say, you know, I really enjoyed that co-design experience so much. Who else might I design with? And that, you know, was part of what led to our collaboration and a handful of others. Um, and and I'll tell you, though, even when I design alone, um, I'm never designing on my own because I actually talk to myself. I'm one of those folks who needs to talk out loud in order to think. And so I'm often kind of pacing in my house and talking out loud about a design. I actually did this at um, at BGGCon. Um, I was in the unpub room and I was trying to work out a problem and, and nobody uh, uh, in the room was free to kind of think it through with me. So I just started pacing and talking out loud and everyone looked at me <laughs> like I was crazy, but I was comfortable. I was in my place. You know, that's unpub room is a place where I'm never going to feel right. self-conscious. Uh, and it was that's great. I, I figured uh, figured a lot of stuff out. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I talk out loud to myself quite a bit when I'm working on different things, just because it saying those things out loud somehow resonates differently in your brain than when you're just thinking those thoughts. It really does. Yeah, I, I find that to be so true. And also that, um, you're, when you say it out loud, you're forced to sequence your thoughts. And that right. means that you actually kind of put together a better argument. So I have this game that has rain falling onto fields. And the thought that I had was, oh, my dice drafting mechanism, which is what puts rain onto the fields, isn't driving enough rain into the fields. And when there's not enough rain, there aren't enough crops. And that means that the fields aren't full. And the thing is that when the fields are full, if they get rained on, they bust those crops go away so the tension of the game 
is really when the fields are close to bursting, when they're most full. And the rain just isn't happening in enough volume to make the tension of the game come out. Putting all that together, kind of saying all that out loud, was so much better than kind of the rapid-fire thoughts that uh, don't string out into an argument in quite the same way. Yep, I agree. That, um, you know, that that's a really good way to put it that I've never thought about it before. The idea of really formulating that thought like into words is very different. It's a very different thing than just kind of that scramble that can go on in all of our brains as we're thinking things out. So I know Rob, uh, who, uh, from the who used to be on the show, he, um, one of his things that he did was he would just freeform type his thoughts out. It was the same thing, right? It forced him to make them cohesive more than just, um, you know, just, uh, yeah, thinking them. So, yep, I think that's a smart, smart idea. Well, so should we talk a little bit about um, conventions. I know you'd wanted to discuss that. We started talking a little bit about it, but I think we got waylaid. Yeah. Well, so, um, one of the things I wanted to, so you went to this event recently called tabletop network. And all I know about that is, um, that I heard several designer friends talk about it. Um, while they were, um, you know, well, uh, they were there. <laughs> right. So I would love to hear, um, some more thoughts. I, I'd love to hear what that was like, what that all entailed and everything. For sure. Uh, Tabletop Network is a convention in its second year. It was founded by uh, Tim Fowers and Jeff Beck. Uh, you may know those folks because Tim do. runs Fowers Games, right? And Burgle Brothers is probably uh, his big hit. Um, uh, Jeff Beck uh, is a collaborator of his and also has his own design studio and has, has done a couple of games as well. And uh, they put on this convention about 18 months ago was the first one, uh, which was out in Utah, uh, up in the mountains overlooking Salt Lake. And um, it was a really terrific uh, convention. The purpose was to create a convention that's focused on the professional development of game designers, which means... Mm -hmm. There's no pitching, there are no publishers, and there's basically no one from the general audience. The only people at the show were game designers. So the first one was cool. was a ton of fun. We had a great time. I met lots of great people. Uh, Jeff Engelstein was also, uh, at some point, got involved in, in planning and running it. And um, they reprised it this year. So this year... It was attached to BGGCon. Uh, so Tabletop Network was Monday and Tuesday, and then BGGCon day zero is Wednesday and kind of picks up Thursday through Sunday. So, yeah. So uh, having it attached to BGGCon was interesting because it meant that, you know, it was one less flight, right? If you're going to BGGCon, mm -hmm. then right. you sort of group it together. But it did mean that I took a full week off of work right before a three-day holiday week. <laughs> right right uh, that was tricky um but it also meant that there were folks who came who i think might not have come otherwise it was very attractive so for example um uli blenemann uli blenemann is the uh, owner of spielworks uh, and and someone i've become uh quite friendly with uh, over the last year or so so he came out because to do Tabletop Network plus BGG flying out from Germany was appealing enough versus doing either one of those, which probably wouldn't have brought him out. Uh, so, right. so that was pretty cool. And I mean, there were, there were plenty of heavy hitters in the industry um, who either came specifically for Tabletop Network or came early to BGGCon, and so they were just around. Uh, but I mean, the 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 speakers and the sessions that were delivered as part of Tabletop Network uh, were really by by top folks. I mean, so, you know, Rob Davio and Matt Leacock, uh, Martin Wallace, uh, Alan Moon, um, Elizabeth Hargrave uh, came out and, uh, and spoke as well. Um, so, you know, it was a great opportunity to learn, right? To just spend time learning about becoming a better designer or learning about developing... Uh, a design career. 
and it was really just a, a tremendous experience for a second time. I got to speak about uh, about uh, the Building Blocks book that Jeff and I did. Uh, Jeff actually ran a scholarship fund and helped uh, designers from uh, less represented backgrounds get to the show and uh, have a chance to um, to be there and at BGGCon, which was also really cool. Uh, so That's all in amazing. all, yeah, it was a terrific experience. Wow, very cool. Yeah, so do do you think next year they're are they talking about doing that partnered again with BGGCon? I I don't know specifically if they're going to. It was certainly a a question that they asked in the feedback form. My my sense from talking to folks is that this was uh, a better way to do it and um, made uh, made the trip in some ways more affordable. I know that some people didn't stay through all of BGGCon. So they came for Tabletop Network and then maybe, you know, flew back home uh, Thursday or Friday and, uh, and were home for the weekend, uh, which I guess is, is a way to do it. I, I kind of would be happy if it was maybe Tuesday and Wednesday because that day zero of BGGCon is pretty slow. So I would have been fine attending sessions that day. Um, but yeah, right, right. I, I think that as we go forward in the further kind of professionalization of the industry and as some more money starts floating around in the industry it's important for designers to continue to up their game and to continue to develop themselves and we really don't have anything like professional development in any other setting that i can think of for for game designers yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that that's, you know, I mean, you're right. As we kind of make ourselves more than just, I mean, I, I do feel like even though there's a great community with designers, it's also a very loose knit thing, right? Where everybody just kind of does their own thing and there are some standards, but not much. And I think kind of bringing ourselves together to a point where, where there, there are those things is really useful. Um, you know, and I, I, especially if that helps us pull in people who may be underrepresented, right. You know, trying to help those people get in more and, you know, helping those people who are trying to step into it, um, you know, whoever that is, learn more, uh, about kind of the, the way things are working and, you know, and just making it more accessible, I think for anyone. Yeah. I, I think, uh, that portion of it is really important because the, uh, challenges with professional development is that we don't have a curriculum and we don't have a, a school and we don't have mentoring programs almost at all, very, very little, which means that the way that people learn and advance and become better at their craft is, you know, through that, that kind of self-identified outreach and networking and working with folks. And that tends to reinforce the existing, um, you know, folks in the community. So if there's a lot of us who who come out of the same backgrounds and who find it easy to reach out to one another, we're going to help one another. And sometimes having a little bit more structure is a way uh, of stepping back from that and saying, hang on, hang on, let's make sure everyone gets a chance to participate. Agreed. Agreed. I can tell you, by the way, that... Um, some of the stuff that we did in sessions was just outstanding. I mean, Kathleen Mercury led a session in which uh, we needed to design games based on some components that she had separated out for us. So everyone got the same set of components and we had 10 minutes to design a game. And really 10 minutes on the clock and here's some bits and some prompt and go design a game. What was incredible about this is how many games were decent were i mean they were broken they weren't balanced and and so forth but they were they had a seed of something interesting and compelling and a lot of folks including some very experienced designers came out of that session and continued to work on those games wow uh, we had one one prompt actually this was particularly a good one uh the last prompt was uh we got 18 blank mini cards and uh, and folks you can do this at home if you like so 18 blank mini cards and something like 12 stars like wooden stars in two colors and we needed to create a game that connected with an emotion specifically in this case the emotion of rage 
um, which actually was a little uncomfortable, to be honest. I, I didn't super enjoy that emotion, but um, initially uh, I came up with a game called Shooting Stars, which was basically um, using the cards as kind of a catapult to launch stars at people, and if you hit them in the face, you won. Uh, <laughs> so that was my rage-inducing game, Shooting Stars. Uh, and and let that be a lesson. A good pun is like 60% of the way towards a game. True story. Um but uh, but then I was I was talking with uh, with some of my my seatmates. So I was sitting with um, uh, Daryl Andrews and Sidney Engelstein, and we were kind of talking about different types of rage, and maybe not the rage of anger, but more the rage of frustration of when a game makes you enraged because it's frustrating. Right, and, and so we kind of spun out these like impossible games, almost like you know the there's that. Um, uh, there's an art book uh, called uh, Uncomfort- The Uncomfortable, which is about objects that are explicitly designed to be really uncomfortable or impossible to use. Right, right. So like imagine like a tea kettle with the handle and the spout on the same side. Mm-hmm. Right? So so like you just can't do anything with that. Um, and so we started coming up with games that kind of did that, right? So imagine like Candyland, except that all the cards are gray. <laughs> yes right by the way if you're lucky you'll draw the double gray right right it's just this impossible game or or a game where the only way to win is to shed all your cards but all the card powers let you draw cards <laughs> <laughs> right uh and of course my personal favorite uh was uh rock 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 <laughs> nothing beats rock <laughs> true story i really now want to do a a trick game where you like not like a trick taking game but like a trick game like in some sort of um some sort of session that i do in like a workshop for my day job um of uh of giving people thing and saying your goal is to get rid of all your cards and you know explain kind of how balanced the game is and how easy this should be and then all the cards don't allow that but no one knows that they all think they got the bad draw right um yeah that would be cool right and then you could workshop that experience that's interesting yeah it could be fun yeah i mean i think that these are the kinds of exercises and and maybe just like flights of fancy that only happen in that kind of environment a safe environment it's all designers we all can't make a game in 10 minutes you know what i mean like none of us are gonna actually pull this off but we're going to explore something playfully and and maybe come to some realization or, or just be delighted by game design in a way that sometimes you don't feel when, you know, you're sitting at home and pounding away at some design that's just not working out the way you want it to. Right. Um, I, I think it was it was just really valuable and uh, and important. I'm very, very grateful to uh, uh, to Jeff and to Tim and to Jeff Engelstein for for making this possible and and kind of putting in a ton of work i mean they're publishers and game designers and i know they don't have a lot of time to to make this happen um but they they did with a lot of help from a lot of people uh you know all the presenters and a lot of behind the scenes folks uh who don't uh, don't always get their names called out um but uh if you are listening to this and thinking to yourself that this might be something you're interested in uh i encourage you to go to tabletopnetwork.com and, and learn about it um i think you can uh purchase virtual access to the previous sessions so like the, everything was recorded so if you want to go back and listen to year one or year two uh, i think there's a way to do that um from the website and and i i think it's a great great way to get some real learning done you know, and get a, get a real chance to, to do something we don't often get to do. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic. So yeah, if they're going to do that again next year, that way I, uh, I would make BGG kind of priority for that reason, because, uh, yeah, that sounds great. So, all right. Well, I also wanted to talk a bit about your, your awesome book that you and Jeff wrote. Um, and I have to Give a little shout out really quick here. So I have what I've now found out from you via talking to you about this. I have a hard copy version of this book of building blocks of tabletop game design and encyclopedia of mechanisms. Um, and uh, 
I got uh, a friend of the show uh, who's been a builder for a long time, uh, Lenier Wexford. Uh, you know him from many, many voicemails over the years. He actually sent me a hard copy of this book. Uh, and I was told by you, Isaac, that the hard copy is incredibly rare and not even you have one. So you are very jealous of me now, I am certain. I am. I mean, you know, a hardcover edition is is not something I thought I would be holding in my hands when we first embarked on this process. Um, and then when I looked at the price tag of it, <laughs> it confirmed for me <laughs> that I was not going to be holding it in my hands. So uh, a very generous gift from from Lanier and, and uh, certainly also uh, a thanks for me um, for, for supporting the book and, and, and supporting me. So I really appreciate it. Yes. So let's let's talk about. So um, I believe the story is something like Jeff came to you and said, "This we should write this book." Is this something something of that effect? Is that correct? I mean, that's the Twitter version. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this is the the too long didn't read version. I'll get. I'll give you. I'll give you the Facebook Messenger version. Oh, I like it. Uh, uh, yeah, I uh, started blogging um, on kindfortress.com a while back, really at the very beginning. You can go back, I think, to 2012 or 2013 when I was just, you know, a baby, baby designer figuring out my first game, thinking I was designing like a, a territory control war game and, and coming to this realization that what I really wanted to do was make a worker placement game. Uh, but it was the same game um, somehow. So, <laughs> I, you know, I'd started blogging similar to you and, and you were a real inspiration, you know, because it was that notion of kind of documenting uh, this this game design journey. It's a very like, um, it's a very 20 teens kind of thing to do. True story. Is to not only do something, right, but also like record yourself doing it and reflect on that and maybe do it with an audience. Um, but yeah, so that's, so I'd started blogging, but at some point along the way, uh, in maybe 2017 ish, I started on, I, I found like a hook. I was like, okay, I want to blog more regularly and I need a hook for it. And the hook was to write about what I was calling patterns in game design. So, uh, tell me, tell me a little bit, like what are patterns in game designs? Are we talking about mechanisms? So... Uh, not exactly mechanisms, but maybe a little bit one level up from mechanisms, which is these patterns that we observe, these dynamics that uh, that we see in games. Uh, for example, um, uh, the dynamic that uh, whatever I do also helps others. Right? There are games in which the actions that you take inevitably help others. Lanterns is a good example, because whenever you mm -hmm. lay down a tile, your opponents all get to draw cards um, you know, based on based on the orientation of that tile, uh, so that's that's a common kind of pattern. Um, some of the patterns were things like you know triangular scoring, which isn't exactly a mechanism, but is such a prevalent type of escalation uh, that it was kind of worth talking about on its own. And and I did what I think every uh, successful blogger does at first, which is write out fifty topics. You know, make a list of the, your first fifty articles, and then just start writing. And uh, that takes away that whole, I don't know what I'm going to say, and I can't think of something. You just, if you have a good enough hook, you should be able to generate 50 uh, ideas from it, and, um, and then right. you can get going. Uh, so Jeff and, uh, and I guess Gil noticed the work that I was doing and reached out to me to bring me on to Lugology to talk about it. Uh, which was awesome, and I mean, definitely a bucket list item to be able to go on a show that I, I've literally listened to every single Ludology episode at least twice. Uh, it's it's been a formative education for me as a designer, and um, so they brought me onto the show, and we talked about these ideas and talked about kind of formalism in in game design and being able to define things and name them as a way of. Uh, just being able to get better as designers. We need names. We need to be able to have a richer yes. vocabulary. Um, and uh, actually, you know, Jeff and I uh, hung out some at Tabletop Network um, and, and developed this idea further. But Jeff reached out to me and kind of said, hey, I've had this idea. I was approached by a publisher who wants to get into uh, books for for tabletop games. They do a lot in computers and video games and so forth. And this is like the next frontier. 
So I pitched them with this encyclopedia idea and I wanted to know if you'd write it with me. And so I said yes, because I am brash and foolhardy and often (laughs) just throw myself into situations, even though they're scary. And I'm concerned that I may not be able to do it. But I just I I said yes, you know, very Ghostbusters, right? When someone asks you if you're a God, Ray, you say yes. Um, If Jeff Engelstein asks you to write a book with him. You say yes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, then we then we started writing, and it was kind of funny because we our plan for writing it was exactly the same as the blog, which is that we sketched out the chapters, and and Jeff had done some of this pre work, so he had some mechanisms listed out already, and he had done some work mining mechanisms out of BGG, um, but we basically just made that big list and kind of broke it into chapters, and and just started writing. Um, and if you look at the book, every, there are, I think, 14 chapters, uh, that are sort of big headings, things like, you know, movement or, um, auctions or game structure. And within each of them, we break it down. So we talk about, you know, here's, I don't know, 17, 25, I don't even know how many different movement mechanisms. This is point to point. This is hex. This is measured, right? All kinds of different, uh, movement mechanisms. And and each each uh, each of those things has a, a diagram, which Dan Solis did. Daniel Solis is a fantastic graphic designer and game designer, um, so he did all our diagrams, and uh, and a description, and then like a discussion, and then sample games. So games for further study that use the mechanism, or maybe don't exactly use the mechanism, but use some variation that's worth thinking about, uh, and that's how we put it together. That's super cool. I I can't even fathom the amount of work that went into putting this book together because it's just so dense and so comprehensive. And I'm sure there are there are things that aren't in there that would be in another edition if you made another edition. Um, But uh, wow, like there's just so, so much in there. And it's this is I I think part of this goes back to, you know, we're talking about you know, when you're talking about tabletop network to begin with, the idea of formalizing things, right? And and this is a step in that direction of let's talk the same way about mechanics, right? When I say this, let's understand what I mean when I say that, right? Um, I think that's important and I think it's helpful. For sure. I, I always Yeah, I mean, have you ever have you ever heard uh about the uh um the nth player problem? The nth player problem. The nth player problem. You probably haven't because it's something that uh, Matt Loomis and I uh, made up and talked about in our own personal design conversations. It was our own shorthand. Uh, And and the problem is basically you have a game, usually it's like a drafting or or worker placement kind of game where it's really clear what the first player is going to do on the first turn of the game and what the second player is going to do. But then like that good thing runs out and you sort of ask yourself, so... What does the third player or the right, fourth right. player or the fifth player? There's some player who kind of sits at the end of this drop off of good things, and uh, Stone Age is a great example, right? Yes. First player either goes to the reproduction hut or takes the fields, right? Second player does the other one. What does the third player do? Sucks yeah, a maybe lemon. tools, you know? It's that's right, maybe tools, right? So it's that nth player problem. Now, Matt and I could just reference that in a game that we were working on saying, do you think there's an nth player problem here? Um, And uh, we immediately didn't have to do this 60-second explanation. We just knew it because we had named it. Right. Nobody else knows that name except now you and all the builders. So at least five Um, people. But uh, but (laughs) at least five. Um, No, but that's the kind of stuff that we need. And also in addition to naming some of that stuff, sometimes we also need to stop arguing about certain things and just agree that this is how we're going to do it. So um, mechanism versus mechanic, I, I'm not interested in that fight. I actually had a slide when I was I was talking about this at, at Tabletop Network and I had a slide that was talking about, you know, worker placement mechanisms and then underneath in parentheses, I said, you know, I said, it's pronounced mechanics, <laughs> right? Because like... We don't need to fight about that. Let's right, move on. Right. Um, and that's that, that's also a thing, right, that we can get hung up on. Um, so 
I don't know that we succeeded in naming everything with like really snappy and catchy names in the book. And I don't know that it's sort of the last word on this, but, uh, and I don't know if you heard about this, but board game geek, uh, so, so Aldi, uh, who runs board game geek reached out to us and asked us if he could, um, use the, the, the encyclopedia basically as the new framework for mechanisms on board game geek. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, I was blown away. I mean, Board Game Geek has that list of mechanisms, and I, I've always ha- found it challenging to use. It's not organized um, sort of apples to apples, so some stuff in there feels like genres, and some stuff feels like mechanisms, and some stuff feels like I don't know. Right. And and then also, like people don't know if we mean like a main mechanism, or if the game has any sort of level of this, then we should... Um, you know, include it. Like, if the game has a die in it, should it have dice rolling as a mechanism, even if, you know, it's just a die to see who goes first? Uh, so it got really cluttered and, and kind of clumsy. Um, so so this was sort of a an attempt to redo that. It comes with its own challenges, but nonetheless, uh, it feels like a at least some progress. It feels like a step forward. It feels like we're... Um, getting closer to uh, to a shared language yeah and i think that's that's progress i mean i you know one of the things i've always disliked in business is that you ever that when i worked in the mortgage industry for instance so many different facets of the mortgage industry had their own shorthand right uh and where i worked I kind of had to deal with all of it, but I, I was a jack of all trades, master of none, right? So so many of those things, that shorthand was intimidating to me because I couldn't always, I didn't always know what it was, right? And I may describe something one way and now mm. suddenly, oh, do you even know what you're talking about because you don't know the shorthand, right? And, um, and it just kind of came from my place in the industry of touching a lot of things and not being deep diving into anything, right? And uh, um you know that so that that sort of thing, I, I see that sometimes in game design where people get kind of uppity about that sort of thing, right? Like, oh well, that's you know that's this mechanism or that's no 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 that's mechanic, right? That sort of thing, right? Like, and it's just so I think any way of giving people the advantage of saying, hey, let's just use this language, let's just talk this way, right? Um, you know, and for myself, so let's say that, yes, Matt Leacock is like, this book is rubbish. I'm never going to use it. Right. Um, that's what he told me when we were hanging out last week. I'm just kidding. I don't know Matt Leacock, but anyways, um, uh, (laughs) but if he had done that, uh, you know, but when I, it doesn't matter because if I'm speaking and and I say a mechanic and, and the person says, I don't know what is that mechanic? I can say, oh, well, that's, you know, that's how it was described in, you know, in the building blocks book. Um, and that kind of gives it, oh, like it, it gives you some gravitas when you're talking about it, right? Because, hey, source noted, buddy. It's not like I just made that up, you know? Um, so, yeah. yeah and, oh, it's, it's funny. I didn't because, realize that uh, Matt Leacock actually said nice things about the book on the back of the book. That's hilarious. So that's super funny. Yeah, <laughs> that that was pretty crazy, actually. So, you know, Jeff and I, uh, as we were getting towards publication, uh, made a sort of our fantasy list of people who might blurb the book. And, uh, you know, Richard Garfield was on the list and, and, and Matt Leacock was on the list. And, and um, you know, we kind of chuckled as like, oh, yeah, we'll just reach out to these people and they'll blurb our book for sure. Right. Absolutely. And then they did. <laughs> um, that was, but that you know, that's really a testament to Jeff. I, I didn't reach out to, to to these folks, and you know, Jeff is, I think, the number one teacher of board game design. Uh, certainly, the number one popularizer of um, math and science concepts in board game design, right. and it's really a credit to to him. And um, I, you know, I'll tell you this: a real great way to uh to make headway in an industry is to be the second name on something uh <laughs> it's it's really i'm i'm very very lucky that jeff reached out to ask me um I'm, I'm i'm proud of the work that we did and i hope that i made him proud in in the work that we did together uh but i recognize that i, I couldn't have written that encyclopedia myself and frankly if i had that that would have been there, there, there's a a Yiddish word called chutzpah. Um, I'm sure most Americans are familiar I've with heard it, but the the, term. you know, there's an audacity or a, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 
how rude. Who the hell are you to write this encyclopedia, <laughs> Isaac? Um, you know, and I think that that would have been... Um, I, I think I had the self-awareness not to try and write it. Right, um, right. But uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm very I'm very grateful uh, to have been put in that in that position and given that opportunity. Um, I I want to actually go backwards um, and and talk also about the the issue of gatekeeping when it comes to language, which you had referenced a little bit earlier. You know, sometimes you don't know the language, and that's a way to exclude people. Uh, and that's very often where public conversations on board game geek or on twitter about like definitional things in board games winds up and i just have no interest in that conversation um first off you know the reason i want to write books and create language is to to make it easier for people to be in, engaged in game design and in playing games and in analyzing games the goal is to to make that more available and more accessible and language gives us that opportunity um it, it does come i think with a little bit of that cost though that now there's a language and now there are insiders who know it and outsiders who don't know it um and, and i'll be frank i i do regret that the book is as expensive as it is uh i wish that it was more affordable and that's that's certainly you know not my call and that's the publisher um who needs to make uh their earnings on the book and and you know it's not it's not my place to to criticize them i'm sure they did their math uh as best they could but it, it you know it's um so it's unfortunate but board game geek has reproduced some of that content so you know some of the descriptions of the mechanisms and so forth is available there and that's a way for people to jump into this conversation uh but i do hope that the encyclopedia is a way of including more people not excluding people um and that we do share a a common language that helps us have this conversation instead of stumbling around it yeah no i agree i agree well let's um let's try this here so I, i i i agree the book is pricey um I think the book is, you know, you say the publisher has to make money, but I also, you know, when you're making a, a niche project, uh, product, right, um, that is not cheap to produce, uh, you charge more for it, right? And that's because, you know, that's that's how you earn back, right? You don't earn back, you know, this book does not sell a million copies because there's not a million game designers. Um, but uh, but let's, let's do a little pay it forward here. How about that? So I was gifted a copy of this, a beautiful hard copy of this. So... If you are a builder who's listening to this show right now who says, hey, like I, um, you know, I, I really would love this book, uh, but there's no way I can swing this book, um, shoot me an email, buildingthegamepodcast.gmail.com. Um, and uh, at least for the, the first one that does that, um, I will send you a soft cover copy of the book free of charge. I can't send you a hardcover copy because this podcast will go broke if I have to do that. Um, Thanks, Isaac. But uh, I will send you a paperback copy of the book um, in an effort to get that out there to someone who maybe couldn't swing it. So uh, if that's okay with you, Isaac, if I do that. Uh, That's really very generous. and I appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. This is the type of stuff that I think more and more about of late. Um, You know, uh, just, yeah, I mean, wanting, you know, it's that if you're going to say, hey, I want to bring more people into this who who can't otherwise do it, then then you know, then then do it, right? So so if that if that can help someone, uh then I will do that. Absolutely. You know, Jeff uh talked about in writing the book, he talked about um how in life, just like in games, right? There's maybe that pivot point where you go from building your engine to trying to score victory points. And, uh, <laughs> you know, giving back to others and, and helping yes, strengthen yes. the community that supported you is, is to my mind, uh, you know, that scores a lot of points. Right, right. Um, no, I, I just, uh, yeah, no, I, this, is, this is something that's important to all of us. And also in the spirit of the fact that Jeff, you know, did a scholarship to get people there. I mean, that's to, to the convention. That's fantastic. So, uh so let's help put some more good back out there and support that. Right on. So, yeah, we are uh, we are close on time here. Uh, we've talked for a long time. We were going to do like a pitch thing at the end here, but uh, 
I think we're going to leave it with this because I think this, uh, yeah, this has been a great conversation. Uh, I know I've learned a lot. And uh, one note I want to leave with the builders is I was thumbing through the book as we were talking. Uh, apparently, there's a mechanic called Dexterity Auction, um, which is ridiculous that there's a mechanic called Dexterity Auction. That apparently, uh, you... Um, you you win the auction uh, by you know doing a dexterity challenge. So <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be reading about the games noted in there <laughs> because that is ridiculous. Uh, and now I really want to make a game with a dexterity auction. So yeah, I'll tell you uh, two two quick notes on that. One is so the game that um, uh, typifies this is uh, is called Going Going Gone. Uh, and it's designed by Scott Nicholson, who is another person who I sort of stand on the shoulders of because Scott uh, was um, he, he he's a board game professor. He's now the the number one scholar in the world on escape rooms, and oh, wow. um, he had a YouTube series, one of the earliest board game YouTube series called Board Games with Scott, and um, he. Uh, encouraged donald dennis to found the on board games podcast wow. so if not for scott i would have never had an on board games podcast to join and uh, that certainly uh, was formative in in my design and sort of industry career um, for sure so going going gone is a game where um you you've you're it's a set collection kind of idea you're bidding on different things and if you collect sets of them they're worth more but the way that the auction works is there's a cup and you're trying to put your tokens in uh, in that cup and there's five different cups or so for five different simultaneous auctions that are happening and the auctioneer just counts down from 10 at whatever speed they want <laughs> And when they're at zero, whichever tokens got in the cups are the bids. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's the- and I'm assuming if the cups are near each other, you could very easily get your token not in the intended cup. Right. Or you could mash your 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 hands with somebody and drop tokens in the wrong places. And uh, people try and sneak you know a token in at the last second. And yeah, so, so that's <laughs> a dexterity auction. But, you know... Um, I, I imagined another game that is essentially a dexterity auction too. So imagine you have shuffleboard, okay? So normally yes. shuffleboard, you're sliding stones or pucks, trying to settle them into specific areas uh, mm-hmm. that will score points, right? So, you know, if you get it into the first spot, it's one point, and then deeper in is three, and then deeper than that is five. Um, but imagine that instead of those numbers being fixed, those numbers were themselves on pucks. And thus, if you banged into them, you might send them into another zone. So you might have one zone that's now worth zero, but another zone has a three and a five in it and is now worth eight. Oh, nice. Right. So that is also a kind of auction, but it's kind of a dexterity auction. Yes. so, so just, you know, once you start breaking things down in this way and you start thinking it through a lot of different ideas, um, maybe that we haven't seen before can, can, can emerge. And it's one of, one of the more fun things in writing the book was realizing how certain things that we think are different are quite similar and vice versa. Yes, no, I agree. Um, so this summer I had this random game idea when I was at a campground that had shuffleboard. I love shuffleboard. And I said, I want to make this, I want to design a game called shuffle mages, um, about, um, old wizards and witches who've retired to the wizard and witch retirement home, uh, and now play shuffleboard, but they use it to cast spells, um, for some Mm. reason. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that's as far as I got with it. But I was really intrigued by that idea. A dexterity game about old retired wizards and witches um, casting spells. Uh, yeah, like a shuffleboard mana mechanism, maybe? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, or like, you know, the different combinations. Uh, maybe almost like uh, a set collection, st- uh, like a pattern building style where you've got... Oh, like, like Tosh Kalar. Yeah, where if you've got... Um, you know, this certain color pucks or a certain organization of pucks, you can play that card and that then cast the spell. Um, yep. Yeah. So, and yeah, maybe some of those are dependent fantastic. on opponent pucks, right? Being in the right spots. Um, so, 
anyways right yeah, right was no a- my my mine is um i i want a, a wizards playing a trick-taking game game um and and mainly like the thinking is it's a basic trick-taking game and then each wizard has a different unique power but that based on how you finish in each round you swap sort of roles so that you know some of the powers will inevitably be stronger than others so that's kind of the balancing mechanism but honestly all of this springs from just really having this intense desire to create like a a ladder style trick taking game where one wizard's power is you shall not pass <laughs> yes that's it that the that's, whole game yep. stem, stems from <laughs> that so i, I haven't yeah. quite nailed it yet but i'm working on it <laughs> i love it i love it Look, a pun gets you 60% of the way there. Yeah, it's true. Yes, it's true. You said it before, and I was thinking the same thing when you said that. Um, so, hey, all right. Well, uh, so we have basically, we just did a pitch. So there you go, builders. We just we just pitched dexterity games. Boom, right off the top of our head. That went places. Yeah, I, I give us check plus. <laughs> yes, for sure. All right. Is there anything else you want to plug uh, other than your book? Uh, I do not want to plug anything other than my book, but, um, I will say that if you are subscribed to my newsletter, which you can do at kindfortress.com, I will be, um, handing out a discount code for the book, uh, during the holiday season. So if you order it from the publisher, you'll be able to get it for, I believe it's 30% off. Um, nice. so come to kindfortress.com, uh, drop me your email address. I send probably five or six emails a year uh so i'm not going to clog up your inbox um but this is a great way if you were thinking about the book for yourself or for a loved one uh makes a great holiday gift and this is a chance to get it uh at uh, at a great price so hey if you're a game designer uh with some spare uh change hanging out and you already have a copy of the book you could use this to give a copy to someone who doesn't so see look at this we could just pay this forward all the way through it's great well, with that, we will uh, move to the end here. If you want to get in touch with us, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on the Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Isaac is at Kind Fortress. And um, yeah, I think that's everything. So uh, all right. With that, we say good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Dial 770 Hotel BTG. Please don't use the email.